This is Robert from Nostalgic Radio Cars. Like most of you, I drive a car or a truck. Well, occasionally, I need tires or just a simple plug or patch. Well, my friends down at Just Tires is the place to go when that need arises. Give them a call at 727-585-9271. They have a convenient location right at 1645 Clearwater Larga Road. You can't miss them. So for all your tire needs, cars, trucks, trailers, new used or just a repair, give Just Tires a call. 727-585-9271. Oh, yeah, and be sure and check out their website, JustTires.net. Do you ever feel the need for speed? Well, experience the thrill of indoor karting at Tampa Bay Grand Prix. Located at 12350 Automobile Boulevard in Clearwater. Call 727-527-8464. They have state-of-the-art electric carts racing around a quarter-mile road circuit. Bring your family, friends, and teammates for some speed, fun, and competition at Tampa Bay Grand Prix Indoor Karting Facility. Call 727-527-8464. Visit their website at tampabaygp.com. Guys, I'm not giving. I was locking the bridges, the roads, yes. The Ghostbusters are here, Mr. Mayor. Ghostbusters, okay, the Ghostbusters. Hey, where's this Peck? I am Walter Peck, sir, and I'm prepared to make a full report. These men are consummate snowball artists. They use sense and nerve gases to induce hallucinations. People think they're seeing ghosts. And they call these bozos who conveniently show up to deal with the problem with the fake electronic light show. Everything was fine with our system until the power grid was shut off by bees here. They caused an explosion. Is this true? Yes, it's true. This man has no dick. Well, that's what I heard. This city hall. Now, what am I going to do here, John? What is this? All I know is that was no light show we saw this morning. I've seen every form of combustion known to man, but this beats the hell out of me. The walls in the 53rd precinct were bleeding. How do you explain that? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Oh, your eminence. Uh, How are you, Lenny? You're looking good, Mike. We're in a real fix here. What do you think I should do? Lenny, officially, the church will not take any position on the religious implications of these uh, phenomena. Hmm. Personally, Lenny... I think it's a sign from God. But don't quote me on that. No, I think that's a smart move, Mike. Well, I'm not going to call a press conference and tell everyone to start praying. <clears throat> uh, I'm uh, Winston Zettimore, Your Honor. But I've only been with the company for a couple of weeks. But i got to tell you, these things are real. Since I joined these men, I have seen <laughs> that'll turn you white. Well, you can believe, Mr. Pecker. My name is Peck. Or you could accept the fact that this city is headed for a disaster of biblical proportion. What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness. Earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice. Dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Enough. I get the point. What if you're wrong? If I'm wrong, nothing happens. We go to jail peacefully, quietly. We'll enjoy it. But if I'm right, and we can stop this thing, Lenny, you will have saved the lives of millions of registered voters. I don't believe you're seriously considering listening to these men. Get him out of here. Bye. I'll fix you, Venkman. I'm going to fix you. I'm going to get you a nice fruit basket. I'm going to miss him. We got work to do. Now, what do you need from me?
Okay, listeners, welcome. You are tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And hey, guess what? We're live in downtown Clearwater at our new temporary time, 3 o'clock. I guess there's a baseball game going on this afternoon, well, right? Well, I don't think... We'll see. I you guess see? I guess it's possible. Stranger things have happened, but taking a look at the weather, it doesn't doesn't look like there's going to be any baseball game tonight. So yeah. you'll, we'll probably hear a repeat of you at seven p.m. A repeat uh, of yeah. nostalgic radio cars. Yeah. Wow, that's great. Two twice. In we'll one see day. though. Like I said, it could they could play, but it already. I mean, look out there. Yeah, it's a little drizzly. Yeah, drizzly. So anyway, hey Cedric, how you doing this afternoon? I, I'm well. How's the Saturn running? It's still running. It's still noisy, but it's still running. Uh, that's all that matters. As long as it keeps running, that's it. You I'll keep. I'll keep putting oil. <laughs> keep putting oil. In. Keep put train fluid in. Keep putting crankcase oil. Whatever you yeah. got to do to keep it quiet, right? Exactly. All right. Well, anyway, hey, there's not a lot of stuff going on other than uh, this weekend, Carlisle Ford, and uh, all my buddies are on the way up there to uh, Carlisle, Pennsylvania, to hang out at the big swap meet up there, the All Ford Show, and then of course uh, also this weekend, as we are sitting here in the studio in. Uh, I can't say sparkling downtown Clearwater anymore because it's kind of like overclass downtown, overcast. No, there's downtown. lots of over overclassed people. There's a lot of overclass. <laughs> yeah, yeah, overclassed. You mean underclassed? <laughs> a little of both. A little yeah. of both. A anyway. lot of both. <laughs> yeah. Oh, anyway, we're too close to downtown. We're within uh, pitchfork distance. <laughs> but, but you know, like in the old Frankenstein movies, you know, everybody's running there with uh, pitchforks and shovels and yeah. torches, and they're going to burn down. Uh, you know, poor old Frankie there. Uh, <laughs> it's like Larry going. G's new promo. Uh, what's his promo like? Did you do a new one for him? No, it, never mind. Uh, never mind. We'll we'll save that for later. Okay, we'll save that inside for later. inside baseball. Inside baseball joke. Okay, but anyway, and then while uh, as I started to say, while we were sitting here, the Hot Rod Power Tour is going on right now. And boy, you know what? For years and years and years and years, I've always wanted to do that event. And uh, like I said, a couple of years ago, or two thousand six. That's hard to believe. It's a couple of years ago. That's almost six, seven years ago. But anyway, we had the opportunity to go to Orlando which is uh, where it started, and I think it uh, tracked all the way up to Michigan. But anyway, so this time it started in Dallas, Texas, and it will be ending this weekend in Charlotte, North Carolina. And uh, so my buddy Don's out there. He's probably tearing up the interstate and all the side roads and all the racetracks and all the all-across courses with his uh, mighty killer 675-horse Z06 Corvette. And uh, he's an excellent driver. I remember years and years and years and years ago when I first got into uh, sports car racing, and this is for anybody out there that wants to do this. That one of the best ways, and of course, my son's now 16, and my niece is uh, 16, and my other nephew's 16. So I got a bunch of 16 year olds in my, uh, coming up behind us here. But anyway, and a couple, a few of them are kind of interested in cars and stuff, which is kind of cool. So what I'm going to do is suggest to them what, which is what I did and my buddy Don did back in the days. You start out autocrossing, so you join like the SCCA club or a local sports car club or car club of some kind that's active in autocrossing or gymkhanas is what they used to call them. And uh, gymkhana is kind of hard to pronounce sometimes, and I don't know where the name comes from. I really don't know the origin. I did probably at one point in time, but can't recall it right now. It's a it's a, it's an age thing. You kind of forget things that happened uh, 10 minutes ago. But nonetheless, uh, so the thing about autocrossing, autocrossing is pretty cool. So what you do is you basically get out on a large parking lot, or we used to do them over at McDill before the days of uh, Homeland Security and, and all the other nonsense going on. But we actually used to go over to McDill, and I use McDill's as an example. And the, either the Porsche Club, the Shelby Club, the Corvette Club, or whatever sports car club, usually SCCA, would have an event out there. And this was a huge, huge pylon course set up out on the tarmac or in a huge parking lot. And basically, they're kind of curvy, twisty little roads or course layout with maybe a very short straightaway. Now, McDill, we could actually get up to 60 miles an hour, 70 miles an hour in some parts of the track because it was spread out pretty good. But most of your parking lot events, you probably get up to maybe 30, 35 miles an hour. 
So if you got a four-speed car, you might be first and second gear. If you got an automatic, you just keep it low and second. And um, you race against the clock. You get to you. The first thing you do, obviously, is you walk the course. So you memorize the course. You get a you know you get a photographic visual on the track in your mind. So when you're running around on the course, you kind of know where you got to go because it gets kind of confusing. Because if you're on a small tight course. The pylons are pretty close. If it's a big course, it's spread out that in some cases you can forget the course. So, uh, but what you do is you, you make the first pass kind of at your speed and you race against the clock and then they let the next guy go. And then you come out a little bit later and you make your second run. Now, by the second run, you kind of got an idea what the course is like. You watch other guys out there on the track. And in fact, it doesn't hurt to actually walk out on certain areas of the track where you had difficulty, for example, you know, a turn or you missed a pylon or you might have had difficulty braking. Uh, you know, a little part of the straightaway, and you kind of watch what the other guys are doing. So that way, when your turn comes up, you can uh, obviously overcome that and do better. And then your third time out, you go for the gusto. Okay. However, if the first time you screwed up and you had a crappy time, and the second time you DNF'd, which is did not finish, or you hit a pylon and you got docked so many seconds, your last time out, you just want to kind of play it kind of cool. Go as fast as you can conservatively and try to finish and try to place. But autocrossing is really, really a lot of fun because what it does is it kind of teaches you car control, okay? And uh, and it's the least expensive way to do it because you could join SCCA, for example. I think it's maybe $40, $50 a year or whatever it is, you know, and then you get to participate in most of the events. And most of the events only cost you maybe $20, $30. Bucks. So that's affordable versus if you join, let's say, like Chin Motorsports or you join uh, – you know, PCA or, or the Corvette Club or Mustang Club, you've got to pay your membership fees, and then uh, you got a big track fee that you got to pay because they usually have them on larger tracks, and they could be Sebring, Daytona, or someplace like that, or DeSoto. And uh, occasionally what happens is it gets a little bit more uh, more expensive in the hundreds and hundreds of dollars. But 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 SCCA is, is probably the most affordable way to get into sports car racing. If you discover that you have a talent or a knack for driving, you know, which you will soon figure out when you're uh, autocrossing, then it's probably not a bad idea to kind of pursue it as a hobby, as a sport. I mean, you know, club racing is a lot of fun. That's essentially what I did. I started it, and then I got my friend Don involved in it. And at one point, eh, not to toot my own horn, but I was pretty good. And then Don just was a little bit more of an aggressive driver, and I was more of a consistent driver. So I would say that he would probably be, in some cases, not always, but a lot of times he'd be a little quicker than I was on the track, but I was more consistent. Well, a lot of times consistency wins. And uh, case in point, we were at uh, Road Atlanta in 1979, and he had his 78Z28 up there, automatic car, uh, nice car, lowered, suspension modified, sway bars, cool piece. Um, I didn't have a car. I was just kind of like along for the ride. So I borrowed a friend of mine's 79Z28 factory T-top car, four-speed. Well, we had to take the T-tops off, and we had to take the uh, the center caps off and all that kind of stuff. So that's basically all you did. And then what they did is they turned us loose on the track. Now, if any of you guys are familiar with Road Atlanta, Road Atlanta has, I think, 12 turns. And what we did in this for the purposes of the autocross is we raced only seven turns. So we raced uh, pit row um, up the up the, through the S's, down through the S's, and up through the S's, and got to turn seven, which is before the long straightaway on the back side of the racetrack, turned around and came back. Now, on an autocross, even of that scale, they only turn one car on the track loose at a time because, obviously, you don't want to hit oncoming traffic, and the whole idea is to get up and get back. So that was actually probably the coolest, neatest, best, bestest, which is improper English, 
uh, time I ever had uh, autocrossing, and I really immediately fell in love with that track. And what what I liked about it was the fact that it had topos. You know, Sebring I've raced many times, Daytona I've raced many times, um, Palm Beach International Raceway I've raced many times, autocrossing and club racing. They're fine. They're cool. Sebring especially is historic, okay, and it's a lot of fun. And it's a fast track. It really is, particularly when you come down turn 12, because turn 12 is a straightaway before the carousel. No, way, I take that back. Turn 17 is the carousel. That would be turn 16, the, the straightaway in the back. I may be off, but, you know, look it up just in case I'm wrong. But at any rate, so when, ultimately when I went back to get my, uh, my racing license, I went through school at Road Atlanta because I just thought the course was cool, you know, because of the up and downs and the topos, and it's just a really cool track. And, um, but anyway, so here we are. We're, this is 1979. So Don runs the course. Now, we're actually up there because of me because I'm there, a member of the Shelby Club, and it was the Shelby Club versus, I think, the Porsche Club. And, um, and I was, at the time, I was a member of both clubs. And I'll never forget, there was actually a McLaren M8, but all I can tell you is it had a huge Traco motor in it, made a ton of noise, and I was behind the car on the driving laps, and all it was was wall-to-wall tires. Don and I couldn't get over this. I mean, this thing was wall-to-wall. Those tires had to have been 16 inches wide on each corner in the back. It was just amazing. And when he took off, he took off. He was gone. He just dumped it, and poof, the thing just lit, jumped, and took off. It was gone. It was an amazing car. But he was actually out there autocrossing. What he was doing, kind of like, if you have a race car, you can come out to some of the autocrosses, and you can do what they call a test and tune. So that's kind of what he was doing. He was testing and tuning. Nonetheless, we ran the course. I ran the course. And uh, and Don was a little quicker than I was. But he, what happens is, if you, you can be quicker on acceleration, maybe quicker through the turns. But what happens is, if you're sliding a little bit, because you don't quite have the car under control, you, you scruff time. When you scruff time, that shows up you know, when you cross the finish line. Still, as much as it pains me, I must concede, Don is probably still a little better driver than I am. I'm just uh, consistent. So for whatever that's worth. Anyway, I, oddly enough, came in first in my class in a car I've never driven before, okay, and sixth overall out of 50 cars, which surprised the heck out of me. And and I'm a Ford guy and a Porsche guy. And here I'm driving a Chevrolet. I got to tell you, I was pretty impressed with the car that uh, I got to tell you that any of the second gen Camaros, the 70 to 81 cars, if you want a perfect autocross car, and not that I'm you know a big Chevrolet fan, I have to admit those second gen Camaros handle so well, way, 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 way better than the first gen Camaros. Uh, I don't know what it is. You know, something maybe about the wheelbase, uh, just the way the car is set up. Weight transfer, the suspension, I mean, it's pretty much the same, you know, it's a front subframe and everything like that, but uh, but that car just did surprisingly well. I mean, you could seriously throttle drive that car, and if you know what I mean by throttle driving, that means drive it with your foot. So, in other words, you can actually steer a car with a throttle if you know how to do that. It's all part of car control. You actually learn that in autocrossing. You can be taught that by an instructor, or you can kind of figure it out yourself because... You're, you're in a situation where you've got no choice. You've got to throttle out of the car, you know. And um, one of the things that I learned, a little secret, which is um, about throttle driving a car is, and when you're going deep into the turns, is if you guys are familiar with the term power braking, you know, like when you power brake, if you've got an automatic, usually you guys do that, you know, step on the brake and they step on the throttle and the back wheel starts spinning. You could actually do that when you're setting up for a turn. Um, just slightly tap the brakes just as you go into the turn. And uh, it just kind of like, unloads the car just enough to where it kind of neutralizes a little bit, and then you accelerate, keep your foot lightly on the brake, 
and then drive through. I, I can't explain it, but I will tell you that Dan Gurney does it. So if Dan Gurney does it, it's got to work. And he's probably one of the greatest race car drivers of all time. Hey, we got a great show for you today. we got a good guest coming on in a few minutes. We're going to play a quick song, and we're going to make a phone call, and we're going to have a guest on here in a few minutes, so stick around. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars.
Hey listeners, this is Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars. We all love to eat. Well, I would like to tell you about my friends at the Rib Shack Barbecue on West Bay Drive in downtown Largo. Their menu offers family-sized takeout dinners like delicious ribs, chicken, beef, and pork, or sit-down barbecue dinners, sandwiches, and even desserts. They will also cater your party. Everything is barbecued fresh using real oak for that great smoky flavor. So visit my friends, Corey, Jed, and Kurt, at the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 600 West Bay Drive, or call them for a takeout order at 727-501-9090. That's 727-501-9090. They truly have the best smoking barbecue in town. Oh, and be sure and check out their great barbecue sauce. That's the Rib Shack Barbecue in downtown Largo, 727-501-9090. I'm telling Robert from Nostalgic Radio and Cars sent you. If you like golf, enjoy affordable golf at Magnolia Valley Golf Club, located on Massachusetts Avenue in Newport Ritchie. Play for as little as $15 after 2 p.m. The club has two beautiful courses to choose from, an 18-hole championship par 72, plus another 9-hole executive par 33. Join their open leagues on Wednesday afternoons at 4 and Sunday mornings at 8. Call 727-847-2342 for tee times or visit their website, magnoliavalleygolfclub.com. Okay, we're back, and you're tuned in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And, oh, by the way, I am your host, Robert. And run your computers and Google TadTalk1340.com. And be sure to check out our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. Of course, we're trying to build up and rack up our Facebook likes. And uh, that takes some time. It's interesting how long that works, but uh, it does work. So be sure and tell all your friends. And if you've missed any of our shows in the past, don't fret, because you can always go to our website, GulfstreamMotorsports.com, and go to our podcast page, Nostalgic Radio and Cars, and you can hear all the great shows that we have done over the last three years, amazingly. So anyway, hey, uh, we got a great guest coming up here in a few minutes. Actually, we're going to do a song real quick. And what we're going to do is we're going to go ahead and play a little clip. And then we're going to get our guest on. And uh, this guy you should find pretty interesting, too, because he's another well-known guy that's been on a number of TV shows that you guys all watch on either Power Block or on Speed or on uh, Velocity. Or, and, man, they're all over the place nowadays. I don't even know. I can't. There's so many of them, I can't keep track of them. But I'll tell you what. They're all car guys. They're all cool. So let's roll this song real quick, and uh, we'll bring our guest on in a few. Don't 
cry Girl, you know I've got to go oh. And Lord, I wish it wasn't so Save tonight And fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone Save tonight And fight the break of dawn Come tomorrow Tomorrow I'll be gone
Buddy, stupid. Hey, this is Lou Santiago of Car Fixing, GarageInsiderTV.com. You're listening to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're back. It is time to introduce our special guest for the afternoon. This gentleman has had the distinction of working for probably the best custom car builder in the country rad rides by troy troy trapena amazing he's also a former co-host of muscle car tv and the current co-host of carfix tv on velocity it gives me great pleasure to welcome to the show this afternoon jared zimmerman jared are you there yes sir how's it going pretty good good i'm glad you could make it nonetheless tell us about uh working with uh troy trapena you guys put probably some of the best stuff on the ground on four wheels i mean this is amazing yeah i agree that's definitely an easy thing to talk about because, um, more or less, my illustrious car career, if you can call it that, basically came from, um, man, I lived in the middle of nowhere in the country and I'd always loved cars. And, um, you know, I received Hot Rod Magazine in the mail. And, uh, you know, because back then, obviously, there wasn't as much, uh, there wasn't very many car programs on TV. So that was the way that I learned about him. And I remember every time I opened a magazine and something would just knock me out, it would be a, one of his cars. And uh, all I knew is it was the guy whose name, his last name started with a T. I couldn't pronounce it. But um, I ended up going to work uh, construction, and from there decided I was going to quit that and build cars full-time. So I was lucky enough to get hired and build a hot rod that uh, caught his eye, ironically enough, or rather a guy who worked for him, and um, drove up there one weekend on a whim, and he hired me. So I went from there, and it was an amazing experience. Uh, I mean, the education second to none. And at that point in time, I thought, uh, I, I guess I got the job just on sheer arrogance because I told him that, you know, hey, I can do all this stuff. <laughs> <laughs> he believed me and then was patient enough to uh, teach me, you know, take me under his wing. But um, that, I've only been uh, away from him for about a year and a half now, so that's still a pretty current feeling part of my life. It was a big chunk of it. Um, all told, I worked for him for about 12 years. So Really? It was, uh, yeah, yeah, I've worked for him since uh, 2000, so... It was a, a long time running, and then I went and did TV, and when I came back to him, um, we did a couple things together, uh, documentary-style stuff um, that I produced. And so I've always loved TV, but it was a hard decision to leave him. But um, anyway, some of the most notable things we did was uh, win the Riddler, and uh, probably my favorite project we ever have done is the race car stuff. And uh, I, I don't know how familiar anybody is, but we worked on a project called the Blowfish, which is owned by George Poteet and uh, put that car over 300 miles an hour a couple times with a small cubic inch V8 and a single turbo, and that was just one of the most exhilarating things I've ever done, without a doubt. Tell us about that car. What exactly was that Blowfish? That's kind of an unusual name for a car. Yeah, we, it was a 69 Barracuda, mm-hmm. so that's the blow, fish. or the, excuse me, the fish part, and then right. Blow was uh, based on the force induction you know, for Blower. the turbocharger, so right. we put the two names together and came up with Blowfish. Um, that car... Um, was unique in a lot of ways. Uh, the first time we ran it, we had a, oh, I guess it's a Sprint Cup um, four-cylinder Dodge engine in mm-hmm. it, and uh, the head was completely, you know, CNC made from scratch. Uh, we had to put a lot of parts together that just flat out did not exist. Um, we made uh, about 1,200 horsepower with uh, that engine on ethanol, which was another challenge, uh, an interesting fuel to work with. So we were running basically just straight-up grain alcohol in the thing, and um, the first time the car hit the ground, it went 275 miles an hour. We just about lost our minds. <laughs> we were all high-fiving and whatnot because I should mention the record was like 183 in the class we were going for. So Now, is this land speed or are you talking about drag race? Yeah, I'm sorry, land speed. Okay. I just uh, 
assume that everybody knows. No, 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 no. <laughs> oh, hey, yeah. that's, that's cool. Land speed, yeah, salt flats. Um, okay. Which is such an interesting challenge because you basically get, you know, one time a year to go out there and test your your product and, you know, try and nag, snag a record. So it's kind of the last really hardcore bastion of racing that's left out there because there's really no commercial influence as of yet. And um, the bottom line is, you know, the rules are you're going out there to, to go as fast as you can, mm-hmm. um, you know, which is different from a lot of other sanctioned races now um, where there's, you know, various ways to win. This one's just going faster than the guy before you, and I love that. Have you ever had the opportunity to drive on the soft flats? I did, yeah. Um, George Fotit that I mentioned is an avid um, salt flat racer and probably one of the biggest beneficiaries to the sport. And so saying that, he's had several cars out there one year and uh, had the opportunity to drive one. I wasn't trying to go for a record or anything, but just um, get my license so that I could continue to drive out there. And I made a pretty big mistake. I got out there and got going about 160, and about mid-mile, let me back up a little bit. The way that you're recorded out there is your entry and exit speed of a mile. So in other words, if you pull out in the mid-mile, you have disqualified yourself. And I didn't think about that. I saw that I went 160, and I put the clutch in, and the car was getting squirrely, and I thought, well, okay, that's good. You know, I'm out here in the historic salt flats in another man's machine, and I bailed out, and I got back, and everybody was disappointed in me. I, I, all I had to do was keep it at 160 for about another quarter mile, and I would have had my license. But that's my experience with driving out there. Is that the minimum requirement, 160 miles an hour, one direction? No, actually, if I remember right, to get your license, uh, you go 125. Oh, okay. But I was thinking about the average when I went into the mile. Okay. Uh, I remember them telling me, you know, the tack needs to be here when you enter this part of the mile, and when you leave, you should be going about 160. Okay. Well, I got aggressive, and as soon as I hit 160, I bailed out. Like, yeah, I did it. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Now, you're, you're originally from what, Illinois? What part of Illinois are you from originally? Well, I'm from Kansas originally, and oh, okay. then moved up to uh, Mantino, Illinois, to work for Troy, and it's about 30 minutes south of Chicago, if okay. you put it on a map anyway. Isn't he near Effingham? Well, he was about, uh, let's see here, about an hour, hour and a half north of Effingham. Okay. So, you know, I, I yeah. uh, Troy's been on my show as a guest a few times. Uh, usually when I run out to SEMA, you know, I'll hang out with Steve Strope and a few guys like that. So, you know, I'll, Troy will be hanging around, so I always get him to, you know, come on the show for a few minutes there when we're doing the live remotes. And and I got to tell you, I mean, out of all the cars, and, and Steve Strope's a good friend of mine, too, and, and Brian Fuller does amazing stuff. You know, the guys that come up with cars that not only are good-looking, but from a technology standpoint, from a build standpoint, from suspend, I mean, just overall, 360 degrees inside out, those kind of builders just they go to extremes. Impress me, but I got to tell you, Troy ranks up there like number one. I mean, his cars are just absolutely incredible. Two years ago, or was it last year, he had the Buick out there with the yeah. Mercedes driveline in it. Did you get a chance to work on that car? Yeah, absolutely. I was. Uh, I'm not trying to toot my own horn, but pretty instrumental in that because I was the. You know, I did most of the wiring. I guess if you asked Troy, what did I do there? He'd say wiring. I wish he'd say fabrication, but. <laughs> He got uh, large enough when I was there that wiring became a full-time project, and we both shared a passion for, um, you know, every aspect of the car. So, like you said, all 360 degrees of it needed to excel. So we were constantly bringing modern amenities from other cars into these these vintage hot rods, you know. So um, everything from the powertrain, which took a lot of wiring because his engine compartments look, you know, immaculate. So hiding those wires and then getting all these electronic gizmos added in there on top of that was kind of a double-edged sword, but 
we did it, and I took a lot of pride in it. But that um, being said, that Buick started as a 2005 Mercedes G55, which is a pretty rare truck. Um, and we stripped it down and, you know, basically modified everything to work with it and all the wiring included. So I took, I'm not really proud to say, but I bet four months to wire that thing and search through what I could delete from the original Mercedes package um, to make it work in that car, you know, get rid of all the unnecessary things. And actually came up with a way to uh, take all of the electronics out of the steering wheel, made my own electronic interface for it, and then used a PlayStation joystick, because it's a five-axis joystick, in the center console of that car to be able to operate the uh, info information screen and navigation that um, was available in that truck. So in other words, we took six buttons off the steering wheel that were no longer available to us and moved them to the center console. And that was just a, a very intense project, but a very cool car. How did you get all the experience to do that? Because that sounds pretty complicated. I mean, I'm just a layperson, so from my perspective, um, that's that's some pretty serious uh, knowledge there requirement. Other than just tenacity on my end uh, and Troy's patience with me, it was it was uh, that that was the culmination of it. Because in other words, you know, here I am in this place that I was super motivated to be in around all these amazing cars, and when the lights went out at six o'clock, um, I, I stayed there and had the the run of the place to myself and got paid to do it. So, you know, I got an education that was second to none. And, um, you know, it was a rare opportunity there, too, because not that money was being thrown away at all. It was the fact that you had the opportunity to to do your best work. And sometimes that takes research. So I would just stay late at night until I got these gizmos to work and um, go from there. And then by the time I left, I was building my own PC boards for the cars. So we we were no longer needed to source things from other cars we could just you know if i wanted a function to occur i'd get the transistors and all the parts and make it happen no kidding that's great that's great yeah he was he and his father both encouraged that a lot so it, you know it's just wonderful whereas most places they're going to yell at you for taking the extra time you know so how many people work with within his shop how, how big is his staff i think when i left there was nine of us mm-hmm. not including his wife and you know his family right because it's a very family-oriented business mm-hmm. um but, yeah, I think there was three guys in the body shop, and then several of us spread between the fab shop and the, the finishing room. That Buick, for example, um, how long did it take to do that car from start to finish, and how did the concept originate? Do you remember? That car, yeah, was actually uh, took about a year, I'd say, all told. It was in the shop for maybe three, but if you were to separate it down you know, to solid work hours, probably about a year mm-hmm. of uh, 50 to 60-hour weeks. And then the concept originated from the owner, who who was Hal Wing, and sadly he passed, but he was the inventor of Little Giant Ladders. And he had always wanted wow. um, 54 Buick, and he's a passionate Mercedes owner, too. So to him, it made complete sense to meld the two drivetrains. And his son had borrowed his G55, as I recall, and was in a pretty bad car accident with it, and it got totaled. So here he has this rare opportunity to use an AMG drivetrain, and he had a 54 Buick. So the next thing to do, you know, is to give it to Troy and let us go go after it. Work your magic, huh? Yeah. Well, I got to tell you, that was probably the car at uh, at at SEMA. I mean, that was just an amazing car. Now, you mentioned earlier the Riddler Award. Tell us a little bit about the Riddler Award and what what's involved in winning the Riddler Award. Well, for a company, you know, and this is my words, um, for a company like Rad Rides, when you're used to winning. Mm-hmm. It was uh, a heck of a challenge because we knew we had to go just way over the top because there's no way we were going to lose that that trophy. But to set your sights like that on an unclear future, you know, is, is always a challenge. But um, 
he at that point in time ended up employing uh people such as Charlie Hutton and other you know notable hot rod builders and enthusiasts um or builders excuse me from other backgrounds to come in so we we assembled an A team first off or, or Troy did and then it took a solid year of i'm telling you 70 80 100 120 hour weeks to take a car that was probably 60% finished at the time a 36 Ford tear it all the way back apart and and start over again and he Troy really had the vision to reinvent the wheel on that one. Um, things like simplicity was his key, and that made a lot of sense. You know, and there's so many things I've learned from his vision like that that um, it's oftentimes harder to make things look simple. But he knew that that was our target, and we did that at every facet of the car. You know, from the the brakes had never been done the way they had been done before, not on a car anyway. We borrowed that from um, aircraft. Um, you know, the control arm setup the so basically, when you looked under the car, all you saw was the frame rails, and from the crankshaft pulley all the way back to the the rear end looked like one piece. Everything flowed together; it was all handmade, and um, that was before we had a CNC machine. So everything was done on an end mill and a lathe, which was an extra challenge. But it was uh, just an absolute—I mean, a giant, giant effort. I mean, it took a year away from our lives, but to hold that trophy at the end, it, it made it all worth it. You know, we were part of something that I feel like is history. Now the Riddler is the comes out of the show out of Detroit, right? The Autorama is that where that one's uh, initiated? Correct. Yeah, it's okay. a memorial trophy for the um, Autorama is okay. the uh, the show. Okay, and then the Grand National, uh, which you guys have won too before, right? Awards. I I'm not certain on that one. I know that, and that one's held in uh, California. California, right? Mm-hmm. I know. I think so. Yeah. Okay. Pretty sure, but without a hundred percent confidence, I don't want to say yes. <laughs> okay. I, it seems to me I read it someplace, but you're right. I, I, I'm not a hundred percent. Well, I'll wait till I get Troy on for a full thirty minutes, and I'll pick his brain. But uh, so anyway, so back to you now. Now you did. Uh, you uh, got into TV. What was one of the first shows you did? I know you were on Muscle Car, and you're currently on Car Fix with Lou, who's also been on our show. Um, right. So how'd your how'd your uh, TV debuts come about? Well, it was pretty crazy. I mean, it's uh, weird to go from living in the middle of nowhere to being on TV and, you know, working for the likes of Troy. But um, I knew two things I wanted to do. I was passionate about cars and wanted to turn it into a career above and beyond, you know, working in a garage. Not that there's anything wrong with that. I just, I wanted more, you know, I wanted to create. And the other thing I wanted to do is be on TV. Um, And my instincts led me to work for Troy where, uh, you know, his amazing projects had us on TV quite a bit, everything from local news to, um, you know, documentaries with Discovery Channel, History Channel, and things of that nature. And I just made sure I was a class clown and befriended um, the production crew, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And um, just started meeting some of the right people, and then was offered the job on Spike. Um, at the last hour, they were really looking for people that could do the job, you know, actually work on the cars, and be in front of the camera. Uh-huh. And so it uh, got pretty narrow, I guess, and, and they threw me into the mix, and I met Lou and went from there. And so I did a lot of just, you know, one-at-a-time episodes on different things. And then that was my first experience with doing a series was with Lou. And, you know, couldn't ask for a better guy to work with. And thank goodness that we ended up together because we've never butted heads. We see eye-to-eye on everything, and we're genuinely good friends and passionate about what we do, you know. And um, I left Muscle Car on my decision to try and produce a show with Troy um, where we would just basically follow some of these amazing builds. 
But at the time that I did that, it was bad timing because I was about 2006 when the economy started to tip over. Mm. And, uh, you know, I would, it got as far as producing a lot of this stuff, get, making, you know, getting it to DVD and then going and talking to different networks. But I, you know, I learned so much in the process. I could have done it for a lot cheaper and a lot less. But um, at the time, they were just shifting their focus away from automotive TV and said, you know, it's just not what anybody wanted. So I went back to work for Troy. And just started kind of rebuilding my finances, and um, you know, I, I'm glad they took me back, and I had a home and a place to put, you know, that would allow me to put food on the table. And then, how, um, when when did you get involved with Carfix? Carfix uh, came along. Uh, I was uh, Kevin Bird, actually, is a friend of mine okay. who we met through Rad Rides. Uh, you know, he's Ford engineer, obviously, and and a host of uh, Two Guys Garage. Mm-hmm. He called me up um, because the production company he was working for was interested in doing a new show with the Discovery Channel, mm-hmm. or, which is, you know, the Velocity Channel is owned by Discovery. So I came down and did an interview for that, and um, it was a really gray area for me. I actually just did a shoot with Kevin and had no idea what I was really interviewing for. And when I left, a couple months later, they called me and said, hey, you want to work with Lou Santiago again? I said, I'll pack my bags, you know, so... That's that's how that came about. It was very straightforward. I really lucked out. Now, what are some of the similarities in the show between Muscle Car and Carfax? Or are they I completely see the similarities. different? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, I, that's it. I mean, are, are there similarities? I mean, Muscle Car was primarily muscle cars and hot rods and stuff like that. And then Carfax is, is it more of a DIY type deal? Yeah, yeah, I guess. What we're trying to do with Muscle Car, the similarities, I guess, uh, excuse me, what, what we were trying to do with Muscle Car was... Um, to get into more of a hardcore fabrication okay. than the standard, you know, um, show. It seems like a lot of times, you know, in our time slot, which is Saturday and Sunday mornings, and now they've moved us into Friday evenings as well, you see a lot of, yeah, how-to. Mm-hmm. And we kind of tried to mix that with um, more hardcore projects. So it could be anything from, for example, an old tracker that we got running to, you know, a fabrication on an expensive hot rod. And so... The similarities are that, you know, Lou and I like to pal around. We don't want any negativity in the show. Mm-hmm. We like it to be about the cars, you know, and less about us. And um, the places that they depart is we have a little more creative freedom with the Velocity uh, channel. Okay. They want us to, to, to use all kinds of different projects and, and to um, go after some more high-end stuff, everything from high-end stuff to Lou's old truck, for example, which we've had on the show. Mm-hmm. So. We're just starting to blossom. I mean, I really look forward to our, our oncoming seasons because of the variety of projects that we're going to get to work on. How much input do you and Lou get to do on the show? I mean, as far as you get to select the projects? Yeah, luckily we have almost 100%. The only time that we don't is when, you know, an advertiser comes on and says, hey, you know, I want to get involved in this way, like Discount Tire and America's Tire, for, Tire, for example, wanted us to go out to um, Las Vegas with them to uh, a, an event that they hold for their uh, employees, where they get to do everything from ride-alongs in NASCAR cars to, uh, you know, driving Ferraris and Lamborghinis. And so, of course, we were on board for that. But other than those type of things, we usually get to uh, have free reign of the projects. What, uh, what is, now how, the show's on every week, and then how often do you guys film? I mean, like some companies or some shows, they film like 13 episodes, and then they take a break, and then they film 13 episodes. How do you guys do your uh film scheduling? Well, we both have a pretty busy schedule, so I'd say on average it breaks down to once a month uh, mm-hmm. we'll film. Um, you know, and typically we'll film two episodes or so and then have an additional day to do what we like to call like a wrap-up, you know, where we can go and test drive the cars or finish up projects. 
And that's what makes it tough because we'll shoot an entire show in one day. So it takes a lot of preparation on the front end and the back end of that. And hopefully our schedule will open up a little bit more so we can get into some more involved projects that take more time. Are you scripted somewhat or do you pretty much ad lib the whole time? No, they threw the scripts away on us a long time ago. <laughs> Trying to get Lou to follow the script, it isn't going to happen, and that's part of the beauty of that guy. Man, he gets us into and out of some great situations because he's just—he's so—he's such a live, live wire, you know. That's cool. No, it's a great show. I enjoy watching every once in a while. Let me ask you this: What are some of the things that you'd like to do? I mean, like uh, share some of the projects that you—you know—maybe some of the upcoming stuff. Man, I'd like to, and I can't really disclose too much that we have upcoming uh, okay. because none of it's really solidified. But I mean, what I like to see in the future is uh, Lou has a Rambler that uh, he wants to drag onto the set. I think it's a 65. Um, and we, we want to conform that, or excuse me, transform that into kind of a like a Scrambler lookalike. Um, I'd like to do a 62 Impala myself and drop it in the weeds and, you know, do some heavy chassis fabrication and, and um, leave the body stock but get some 20-inch wheels tucked up in it and maybe a modern driveline. But all these things, like I said, take time. So I'd also like to see some exotics on the show. You know, maybe we're, we've toyed around with the idea and actually have access to uh, Ferrari, Lamborghini, things of that nature, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and, and probably, hopefully we'll get more into some hot rod fabrication. Uh, we were talking about doing like a 47 truck in the future. And um, the thing that we'd really like to do is try and bring on more reoccurring vehicles because you get to see it from start to finish you know, right. that way. Um, you personally, are you a Ford guy, Chevy guy, Mopar guy, high ride guy? I mean, what's your, what's your taste in cars? Well, after working for, uh, rad rides and Troy, I just learned that every car is made of the same bolts, nuts, stainless, mild steel, you know, all, all the constructions, they're, they're all made of the same material. So for me, I don't really see brand. I just see ways to, that I want to improve it. And, um, so like the past cars I've owned, cause I go through cars like, uh, most people change underwear. Um, the last thing I owned was a 2012 Mustang RTR. I traded that off on a Cadillac STS, um, which I love the Caddy, but uh, I got to get something else fast back in the back in the garage. But um, I've had a couple Mustangs and a couple Corvettes. I kind of wage war with myself on those. Um, you know, hopefully in the future someday I'll have the coinage to buy a Ferrari. That'd be cool. So I go all over the place with my taste as well. Are you more? Uh, not to go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, are you uh, more? Are you? So I'm sorry. Are you more like late model cars? You like the vintage stuff, or I like them both. Um, yeah, I tell you what. If if I had the money, I'd have a hundred cars in my garage, and it would be everything from brand new stuff to old stuff. I like the idea of having a warranty, even though I can't leave anything alone. So I always void warranties within about the first two thousand miles, anyway. Because um, if I get a new car, it's instantly got a blower or a turbo or something on it. Um, but I like the old cars too. Um, so I'd have to have. Old cars with modern drivetrains, cantankerous old cars that need to be worked on because that's fun when they don't have to get you to work. And also a couple things, maybe uh, you know, with a warranty. So let me ask you this: we got a couple we got a couple minutes left. Um, do you think that we're going to get too over technological? I guess that's the right word. Over too too techy in the car world? Do you think, or do you? I mean, doesn't that like you know when you look at some of the cars nowadays? You know, paddle shifters, electronic this. I mean, it's like you don't have to do much anymore. Do you kind of? You know, it's kind of like you, there's no driving anymore. There's no real driving experience. It's just push a button, get in. It's like a video game. What's your thoughts? Right. As far as, like, um, the aftermarket or as far as... Just cars in general, you know? equipment vehicles. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Just off the showroom floor type stuff. Yeah, it's kind of a scary future because, you know, I'm privy to some technological information a little bit ahead of time. Um, and, yeah, I mean, eventually, 
in the future, we're going to be pretty much removed from the driving experience altogether. And hopefully, you know, cars like a 67 Fastback Mustang can coexist with a, you know, God knows, 2030 Mercedes, which is going down the road autonomously, you know. Yeah, unfortunately, I think that that is the future, but hopefully it's it's definitely not what I want to see, and hopefully we can hang on to these old gas guzzlers, you know, and grind the gears ourselves. Of all the cars on the planet to date, what's your favorite? If you could put one in your, if you could put, I, I, you know what, I hate that question when people ask me that one too, but yeah, for yeah. what for what it's worth, let me ask you. <laughs> it'll be uh, different tomorrow, but let's see. <laughs> be Out of reach, probably a Bugatti Veyron, and within reach right now, probably uh, Shelby GT500, just because it's such brutal excess and still has a live axle. You know what I mean? Yeah, a thousand horsepower. horse or whatever. They're up to now. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and nothing. There's there's few things that sound better than a 32 valve Ford. That's true. That's true. That's true. Well, anyway, all right. Well, look good. When you get ready to do your shows and stuff like that, how much preparation do you do? Or do you just like, boom, pop right in there and here's what we're doing and wham, will you do it? Or do you have to kind of like take a day or two to kind of figure out what you're doing? Well, in the first season, we didn't have a ton of preparation. And as we getting as we're getting deeper into the second season, um, there's there's a lot of preparation. And I hope that it continues. I hope we can devote more time to the projects, you know, even though the duration of the show isn't getting any longer. Um, I'd say on typical, there's there's a good week beforehand, and then uh, sometimes some time afterwards. But it depends on the level of project. But hopefully they'll all kind of stay at a certain level, you know, a higher level here, and we can, we can put more and more time into them. Okay. Well, great. Hey, I want to thank you very much for taking some time out this afternoon to come on our show. Um, you want to plug your show and the time slots and everything like that? You want to go ahead and do that? Yeah, definitely. Check us out on uh, Velocity Channel. The show is Car Fix, and the time is Saturday and Sunday mornings, I believe, at 11. They change it on us, so it sounds funny that I don't even know. <laughs> but I know one thing. If you go on the guide and look for it, you'll find it. So, Quick question. What about motorcycles? Do you ever get bikes on there? Not yet. Uh, Lou and I talk about it all the time because we're both, obviously, you know, we like anything with an engine on it. So we're both avid motorcycle enthusiasts as well. So Okay. Uh, but we're talking about building maybe a chopper between the two of us. Okay. Will that be something on so. featured on the show, on a TV show? Yeah. Yeah, definitely. That'd be cool. Definitely. You know, I think you know, yeah. there's, a, there's a lot of positive feedback, you know, because people that, uh, like myself, I'm kind of a hobbyist. I'm not an expert. I just kind of tinker around a little bit. But we really enjoy this kind of show because every once in a while, there's always that little tidbit you pick up, you know, whether... You, you're illustrating it or whether Lou's illustrating it, and you go, ah, that's how it works, you know? And it kind of helps you out. And then it kind of motivates you to get out in your garage and work on your own car. So it's cool. It's a cool show. Good. I hope so. And none of us, as far as I'm concerned, really are experts. I mean, because I learn stuff every day, and I'm just blown away and flattered when people learn stuff from us um, because sometimes it just falls out of our mouth. We don't even realize we're teaching anything, you know? Mm -hmm. But, uh, yeah, it's always, always a learning process with the cars, and that's what's so great about them. Okay, well, cool. Well, hey, Jared, I want to thank you very much for coming on the radio show. Yeah. My guest this afternoon was Jared Zimmerman from Carfix TV. So, anyway, we're just about out of time. I want to thank all my listeners for tuning in to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. Remember, for the greatest names, most legendary names, most famous names in racing, car collecting, car building, you can hear it right here on Nostalgic Radio and Cars every week. But be sure and check out our website, GolfstreamMotorsports.com. Like us on Facebook. Tell all your friends. Tune in every week. This is where you want to be. If you're a car guy, you want to listen to Nostalgic Radio and Cars. And in the meantime, I want everybody to stay safe, drive carefully, love your family, and we'll see you at some of the car shows. Hey, be sure and tune in to Car Fix and see our friends, Jared Zimmerman and Lou Santiago, every week on Velocity TV. Velocity TV.